Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2165. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yatch. Today I'm in McPherson, which there's a little college there we're going to talk about. You listeners who've been listening to Cars Yatch for all know about McPherson College, what a great place it is, with a very special guest by the name of Cameron Luther. Cameron, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Let's do it. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I have some fun. Now, I'll let our listeners know that, you know, I just came back from Pebble Beach Concord Car Week, all the wonderful things. And I met Cameron down there. I believe we met at the, the Gooding Auction. We were in the Gooding tent having some fun looking at, oh my gosh, the eye candy in there. I'll ask you this right off the bat before I introduce you. Was there something in the Gooding tent that you just, if you could have had a blank check, you would have brought home? Absolutely. For me, it's probably a straight tie, maybe a trio even. But anyways, I'll, I'll take it down to two. The 1937 BMW 328, which was um, in the corner, it's white. Yep. It's originally blue and such original car as far as componentry and leather and a lot of other components. And then the blinking on the year right now but the bugatti type 57c von two <laughs> unrestored swedish royalty owned when new really incredible car i think i'm gonna have to go with the bugatti between those two now i'm a bmw fan and i love that car and i remember both those cars but when you look at the provenance of the bugatti there's something kind of magical about that don't you think absolutely and the fact that the consigner who bought the car in 1985, decided all throughout his 40 so forty or so year ownership to not restore the car and continue to show it at places like the Pebble Beach Concours pre-war preservation class and the elegance at Hershey and really take it to the right shows and have it under the right eyes that appreciate preservation. It's a really great example in that light. There you go. So before I introduce you, what's one little thing that maybe most people don't know about you, Cameron? I guess it kind of relates to my choices for those. Um, some of my friends know, but generally in my interests and writing about cars, I've talked about post-war sports cars, European. And I am really into and getting more into pre-war racing and European sports cars. So I guess that's something people might not know. Well, it's something that us older, more mature guys like me, I could easily be your dad for sure, is uh, interesting to me because we always think of younger people liking cars that were popular during the time they were just starting to drive in the early teens, mid-teens, which would put you way, way, way newer than that. But I'm really happy to hear that because that appreciation for those older cars is some hope for us guys that might have some of those, that there's going to be somebody to be caretakers of those moving into the future. And we're going to touch on that and a whole lot more, but let me give you a proper introduction. Cameron Luther is a senior at McPherson College, preparing to graduate in May of 2023. Congratulations. Very cool. He's majoring in automotive restoration technology and has done coursework in sheet metal, engine building, drivetrain, automotive paint, research, and documentation. Cameron's a member of the Judging Club, applied with success for the Historic Vehicle Conference, and has accepted to present at the 
HVA Driving History Conference. He's worked for numerous restoration facilities, including George's Fornado, Tab Motor Works, that's W-E-R-K-S, I think there's a key, we're going to be talking about some German cars today, Family Car Care, and did an internship at the ever-so-famous Revs Institute, very cool. He's active in the McPherson Cars Club and Judging Team, the Porsche Club of America, DECA Marketing Club, and active at attending Hershey and Pebble Beach, of course, where we met. He created and managed his own blog, too, 356SC.com. We're going to learn about that. First, a word from our valued sponsors, so we'll give them a little love today because they're the reason we have gas in our tank here at Cars, yeah? And we'll be right back. Buckle up. You know I've been an advocate for Covercraft products to protect my vehicles for decades. But did you know that they also offer you top-quality products for your boats and watercraft? Covercraft puts their quality design, manufacturing, and fabrics into their full-cover bimini tops, T-tops, boat lift covers, outboard motor covers, personal watercraft, and accessories. Protect your marine toys from damaging UV ray, and you'll get the same high-quality fit and finish you've come to know for your road vehicles for your watercraft. And I've got a great offer for you as well. As usual, use the code YEAH21 at Covercraft.com, and you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order. That's right, 10% off, and you get free shipping too. Simply use the code YEAH21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you on the road and even on the water. Visit Covercraft.com today. I was talking with a buddy of mine the other day and he asked me about American Collectors Insurance. He said, while I listen to you on Cars Yeah, you're always talking about agreed value collector car insurance. Well, I insure all my cars on my regular auto insurance policy and I've done it for years. Why use a different company for my collector cars? I get a multi-car discount. Isn't that good enough? I suggested he call his carrier and ask how much he would get if his collector car was totaled or stolen. He called back and said, boy, that was a scary conversation. Their value of my car wasn't even close to what it's really worth. Thank you for the education, Mark. So don't just hope for a fair claim settlement. Be certain and know exactly what you receive with an agreed value policy. American Collectors Insurance has been protecting enthusiasts since 1976. Give them a call today for your personal agreed value quote at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of Mark Green's at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance, classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors, automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. That's American Collectors Insurance. Auto Geek's Blackfire SiO2 Spray Sealant. It's a spray-on, wipe-off sealant that's quick, safe, and easy to clean and protect your vehicles. I love using it on all my cars. Auto Geek's Blackfire SiO2 Spray Sealant is a spray-on, wipe-away sealant that uses SiO2 ingredients to provide a slick, brilliant, and long-lasting shine. Silicon dioxide is known to be one of the most effective ingredients in car care products. And Blackfire Spray Sealant takes advantage of every stunning feature it has to offer. This sealant will protect your paint from road film, dirt, and other common contaminants while providing an impeccable, long-lasting, hydrophobic surface that forces water to sheet and bead on your paint for months. Go to autogeek.net to get yours and for the best product selections on the internet today, along with their skilled technical support. Autogeek.net is where I go for all my detailing needs. That's autogeek.net. Check them out today. 
So Cameron, we are back. Now, I always love talking to young people that are coming into the automotive sector because it gives me hope, as I said earlier, that there's going to be people around to care for, restore, love, race, drive, care for these cars, of course. But I want to go back first and talk about why you chose McPherson. I kind of think I get it. But what drew you to McPherson? I've had a couple guests from McPherson on the school, some fellow graduates, uh, Craig Larson, Francis Abate, um, a professor, Ed Barr, who's uh, there at the school. And of course, Amanda Gutierrez, which I ran into on the lawn at Pebble Beach. I see her every year. She's been great uh, VP of Historic Automotive Restoration there at the college. But what drove you, excuse the pun, to go to McPherson? And why did you make that choice? Sure. When I was three years old, my father started taking me to events like Hershey and Pebble Beach in a stroller, you know, and my grandfather being of an older generation thought, why are you taking a kid to these events? And then, you know, as I started to grow into a young kid and had a lot of passion for the cars, he kind of saw a good reason for it. And, and, you know, that passion continued to flourish. And like you talked about, I worked for many restoration shops throughout middle school and high school in the summers. And so when it came to going to school, my thinking was at first do something not related to cars, to be able to collect cars or something of that accord. And then one year, my father and I were at Pebble Beach and we were having dinner in Pacific Grove and three or four professors and a group of students walked in and they were in the room next to us. And my father's friend encouraged us to hop up and go chat with them. And it was that was when I was like a freshman in high school or something. But that kind of kept it in the back of my head for when I went to apply to colleges. And that was the only option. <laughs> well, you know, what's really cool about this and you've learned this going to car shows. I started taking my son to Pebble Beach when he was, I think, eight years old. I think he's been to 18 of them. I've been to 32 of them. And he's told me to this day, I'll tell you, Cameron, that his inclination to step forward and communicate with people and be a great communicator as a young adult, it worked for him in college. It got him, a, landed him a great job and a career. He's 28 now. He's doing wonderful. He's not calling home for money and he's not living in my basement. So that's a good thing, especially since I don't have a basement. But he said that car shows or what taught him how to communicate with people. And the fact that you and your dad went into that room and did that, that planted that seed in your skull and moved you forward. Uh, would you say that now that you've been around many adults, now that you're an adult, but even when you were younger, let's say young adult in high school and doing these shows, that that really helped prepare you in the world of being a better communicator? Yeah, I totally think so. I mean, it kind of, like your son had said, it brings you into this environment as a kid or young adult, where there's a certain vocabulary used. And you're, of course, talking about collecting cars and the dealing of cars. And so there's a certain professionalism there. And yeah, really, um, obviously, I have done internships, which have related to cars, but in business classes or things like that, I could reverse engineer it, let's say, back to speaking with my professors eye to eye and things like that. And I imagine in the professional world, if I weren't in cars, I would still have certain skills which came from going to Concord and things like that, which would help me. So your experience at McPherson, let's talk a little bit about the different course loads. I talked about some of the many things that you learned there that you'll be able to take forward into what you want to do in your career. What are some of the courses that you took and what were some of your favorites? That's a great question. A couple of my favorites were ones that I hadn't tried. So working for different on different internships in high school, I had done a lot of kind of mechanical restoration of Porsches and maintenance and things like that. But 
I'd always been passionate about certain other areas, like, you know, the history of cars and things like that. And my dad being kind of a dealer and collector for years had always stressed the importance of the history of individual cars. And that really became a passion of mine, even in high school. But through doing research and documentation classes um, and tying into internships I did, which we'll talk about later, I really gained a strong passion for whether it's the 1937 Le Mans winning Bugatti Type 57 G tank or whether it's certain individual C2 Corvette. Each of those cars have a history from the day they were built. And each of those cars, it's equally important as an owner or a curator of a museum to say, let's figure out what that history is. Let's let's really properly document this car and do it justice. So we have a class here called Research and Documentation, which you pick out one of the cars which has been donated to the school, and you kind of put together a write-up and presentation on the car's his individual history. And then one of the classes is also um, an interesting one that's trim, and you can take it in two levels. And you really don't run across that as like a high school job or go to upholstery. I mean, of course, you can find it, but specifically vintage automotive upholstery. Uh, it's such a different thing for most students coming in, but it gives you really an interesting perspective of the cleanliness of that work and the calmness of that work. And then a lot of people end up wanting to do that for internships and jobs. And people get placed in trim jobs in some of the great shops, Paul Russell and Company and Motion Products and other shops because of taking one or two classes in the trim department at our school. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, have had uh, guests from the, both those shops as guests on the show here. And that's one of the things I hear from a lot of People that own these shops is they really need this talent to come in and work. And they're, they're, a lot of them are very worried that there aren't going to be enough people to carry this forward, which supply and demand, if you take any basic economics, that's a good thing because it works for your benefit in many, many ways. It doesn't work so well for the guy who wants to have his car restored because the pricing it can get more expensive. But you know what? That's the price you pay for great quality. And it's a nice little segue into some of the shops. You sent me a nice little deck of some photos of cars that you've worked on in some of your shops. I see a little trend, though, here, Cameron, of German cars and Porsches. I know when you and I spoke, I mentioned I love Porsches. That's my mark of choice and has been forever. You've been able to work on some pretty cool cars from early 911s to 356s. Um, I even see, uh, uh, what was a Conda Green 911T? It looks like a little bit of a ducktail. Somebody was playing RS Carrera with that one a little bit. So if you could talk a little bit about how you got into these internships, because a lot of young people I speak with go, well, who's going to hire me? I don't know anything. Now, my son got to do a summer internship in a restoration shop, and the first job they put him on was the Daytona Ferrari. <laughs> and he said, start taking the light buckets out and take this off. And he's like, uh, I've never done this before. <laughs> you know, I'm afraid I'm going to hurt something. Well, you'll figure it out. Here's a wrench. Go to it. How did you get into your internships? Sure. So when I was 15, I decided I wanted to start, or 14, started, I wanted to start working on cars in the summer and seek out some sort of internship. And honestly, my first internship was a local garage. And I approached the owner who I knew from various interactions over the years and said, would you have me for the summer? You don't have to pay me. I will sweep the floors or do whatever you want and just count on that I can work for you. And a lot of the places that I worked at um, throughout high school, whether it be a one, two, or three-man shop, you know, if you approach them as a young guy, 
and you say, I'd like to work for you, they might not have the budget for it. Uh, one guy I worked for was a phenomenal air-cooled Porsche restorer. He was in his garage, you know, certainly didn't have the budget to have one person full-time for a summer. But if I approached him and said, hey, I'll work for you for free, it was like, a no-brainer. And with that then came things like, oh, I would find out about how I could buy, you know, car or parts uh, cheaply through working for that person. So it certainly wasn't that I was just throwing my time away. And I learned a lot about a lot of preliminary skills, which helped me to apply to McPherson. And then I could apply those skills in the classes and the knowledge in internships and everything going forward. You know, it's a great idea. And a lot of people go, what do you mean you work for free? But it's not for free. It's like a MBA at no cost is the way I always look at it. My son was required. He studied industrial design at RISD and he was required to do an internship one summer. And he worked at a boat workshop. I live in Gig Harbor, Washington. He came home from Rhode Island for the summer and they build these beautiful hand-built wooden boats. And so he never worked on boats, but he did. I said, here's what you do. You just go announce, I'll work for free. And they ended up paying him, actually. And he actually ended up giving them some great ideas to improve their business. But what he learned there is he did not want to be a boat builder, which is a good thing to learn when you're 17 or 18 or 19 years old versus studying, getting into it, and then you're stuck in it. And you go, "I this sucks. I hate this job. I don't want to do this. You learn those things, what you like about it and what you don't like about it. And some of the pictures you sent me, I mean, you're sitting in a 917, uh, you're with an old Allard, you're working on a 917 uh, PA, the Pebble Beach car that went there. I mean, you got to be around some stuff that I think a lot of young men and women who love cars would go, you got to work on what? That's pretty cool, right? Yeah, that's certainly true. And I'm eternally grateful to everyone that I've worked for. But, uh, you know, Scott George and Miles Collier at the Revs Institute, between them opening their doors to have me as an intern and the timing working out of that last year, one of the featured marks for Pebble Beach was 12 917s. And they happened to have two of the 12 um, and one of the 12 917 being the unrestored martini livery car that was in Vashik Pollock's warehouse. It just for me being a, a pa passionate young guy about unrestored cars and Porsches, that was the ultimate car to help me in the process of preparing and mechanical preparations and writing up a reference booklet and everything. And um, that was just really incredible to, um, to be around at that time. And I have to thank, you know, also, you know, Amanda, of course, and, you know, that was a lot of talking to Amanda and saying, here's what I'm interested in. And of course, she knows everyone. So oh, yeah, her talking. She does know everyone. And Miles, I ran into him several times this year at Pebble Beach. And he was, I was very fortunate to get him to be a guest because he does not do many interviews. Uh, and it was wonderful that new book that he put out. We talked about that uh, at length. But he's got the cars to beat the cars to beat the cars. I mean, he's been collecting forever and ever, which is fantastic. I like to ask about what I call driving inspirations, people who've been key mentors, inspiring people in your life that helped influence you and your goals to work in this field. Has there been somebody like that in your world? I have to mention my father. I mean, he, um, my, my first internship actually was a former tech at a Porsche dealer, which my father was a salesman at in the 80s. So long story short, to bring it back around, he then ends up uh, starting a vintage car department there and then forming an independent vintage car dealership after that. And he, when I grew up, we had 
admittedly an XK120 roadster in the driveway year round in the snow and things like that. But so those early memories of riding on my father's lap around the neighborhood through the snow and things like that and having early 60s Beetle convertibles and things like that, where it's just those memories stick with you, even though if they're cloudy and vague, you'll never forget things like that. And he's kind of pushed me to um, pursue the car and vintage car industry. So I've, I've worked at these shops and by the end of working at the shops throughout high school, I kind of said to him, I said, I, I'm interested in the dealing and auction more side of the vintage car industry. He said, that's okay. So go pursue that. And then working with the Revs Institute, that got me even more geared towards, okay, archives and historic research and black and white photos and ephemera, um, things like that. And they host a symposium, which has a similar format to what the Historic Vehicle Association did as far as bringing up presenters to talk about different concepts of preservation, um, people like Gundula Tut and Miles Collier and Fred Simeone and people like that. So kind of becoming aware of those subjects and then looking at the dealing and auction business with an eye for preservation. Certainly, restored cars have their place as well. But I think as preservation becomes more and more prevalent to the industry, it's going to be a good thing to have an eye for and a passion for. Yeah. And cars, old cars have become a valuable asset too, especially in the last few years. And I've had so many guests on the show that are associated with big auction houses, working in them, owning them and so forth. And then that evolves them into meeting with people that are collectors, uh, finding new cars for them. I mean, there's a whole industry there that I think a lot of people, when they look at the auction industry, don't realize exists. They just think people go to an auction, they bid and they buy a car. There is a giant career path behind that industry it's very fascinating and i'll mention uh you know a guy named ramsey potts i don't know him personally but i certainly know the name i think i gotta introduce you to ramsey he is an awesome guy he's become a friend uh someone that jumped out of a career at a later point in life and went into this world and has just made a wonderful life for himself out of it but he's just an awesome person so i'm gonna make sure i make an introduction to ramsey you should be talking with him we'll take a short break thank our sponsors again and we'll be right back. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual, informed, reasoned opinion based on firsthand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world the people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions, ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARSYEAH when you subscribe, and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. Being a professional automotive technician today requires an understanding of technology, computers, and electrical systems that are highly advanced and very complex. Cars yeah is pleased to support TechForce Foundation. It's one of our charities of choice and its efforts to help young people pursue the technical education and careers as automotive techs. 
Through scholarships, grants, and good old-fashioned hands-on experience with cars, trucks, boats, and more, TechForce and Carsia are working to connect young people with viable careers in the automotive sector. Join us by visiting techforce.org today. So Cameron, I like to ask what I call the challenge question, and this is about not so much a challenge or failure, although I love to hear about those. It's more what it taught you. And the great thing that you learn in life is, in many cases, the more challenges you have, the stronger you get. And even people have said, the more failures I have, the stronger and better I get, because it means you're pushing yourself a little bit. I even had a guest on the show that said, every New Year's, I set a goal of failing 100 times in the new year, because that means I tried 100 things I've never done before. Wonderful way to think about it, right? So What's one of those situations for you that taught you a really valuable lesson? I would say probably the the long-term pursuit of a car. I don't know if it would necessarily be a failure, but there have been cars that I've kind of chased in conjunction with my father for four or five years. And you know, I, you're talking to the person once a week or once a month, and they tell you a million times, well, it's not for sale. Right. Um, <laughs> and what I've learned through all that is to stay persistent and stay friendly, of course, but stay persistent and go see the person face to face and do an actual touch of hands. And I guess the same thing with uh, pursuing cars goes to pursuing certain internships. So there have been plenty of times where I've applied for an internship and maybe at first the answer was, oh, well, you know, it's too close to the summer or we just don't have an opening right now. And it can be even as simple as saying, well, thank you for your time anyways. And that can lead to someone saying, well, they were considerate to say thank you for your time. Maybe we should look at this opportunity again. You know, it's a great analogy to a lot of things in life. I always tell people if I'd known that when I was in high school, I might have had more dates if I just asked more girls out instead of being afraid of the rejection. Uh, But cars are a great example of that. I chased a 1972 911S for 10 years. Every four or five months, I'd call this guy, Kenji. I uh, really would love to buy your car. Not for sale, Markson. Go away, Markson. And then one day I'd actually saved up money and I said, I called him. I said, Kenji, I'm about to send about 20 grand to someone else, but I could write your name on this check. Now, this was a long time ago when a 911S could be had for 20 grand. Now it's very different. Uh, but he, find, he there was a hesitation and he said, okay, I'm ready to let it go. What? I couldn't get to his house fast enough. I ended up having that car for about 15 years. Uh, you're right. Just contacts, pursue, persistence, tenacity, polite persistence, polite tenacity uh, will eventually get you there. I can't tell you how. You've learned this at a very young age, which is tremendous because it takes some people a long time. Uh, and uh, but, it, but it can happen because every car has a lifespan with everybody's ownership. I just sold a car I'd had for 13 years that people thought, why? how could you sell that car? You'll never sell that car. But time was right. Market was right. I'd done everything I wanted to do with that car on to something different. There you go. So uh, you're wiser than your years, young man. I think that's pretty cool. You know, bucket list ideas. Where do you see yourself? Let's not go too far in the future, but maybe in the next three to five years after graduation. It's hard to say. I mean, not to rush into things, but maybe five years in the future. I'd love to be doing what's called car specialist type work. Behalf of a company, I'd love to pursue consignments. You mentioned the blog, uh, 356sc.com. I I just do that for fun, but it's writing about sports cars. And working for Gooding this summer, I was the archives intern. Um, 
But I also got the opportunity to write about two cars for the catalog. Nice. A 450 SL with 6,000 miles and a 280 SL with a fantastic restoration done in Germany. So that type of work writing for like catalog or some sort of listings of that. And then using people skills, like you mentioned, as a way to bring in consignments and and sell cars. Uh, I really enjoy that work. That's where we met was on the floor, so to speak, at, at the Gooding auction. So I really enjoy the environment, whether it's one-on-one at someone's house chatting about old cars, leading to maybe buying a car, or it's an environment like that, uh, interacting with tons of people throughout one day. And I guess that comes from kind of growing up and sitting at the Hershey car corral and talking to someone about a Triumph TR4 or something and kind of half pitching it, but half um, just talking old cars. And yeah, so I'd love to be doing specialist type work and writing professionally in some regard, whether that be for a catalog or maybe perhaps sports car market one day, you know, a highlight article about some sort of thing. Well, if you'd like a reference to some of these people, and I've had a lot on my show, I'd be happy to do that for you. So uh, this world of cars is all about contacts and relationship building and so forth. So uh, I've had just a few of those folks. In fact, a whole lot of those folks on the show. So happy to make a recommendation for you. So let's talk about a special vehicle in your life. Now, you're a young person, so maybe you haven't had what you might consider a special vehicle, or maybe you have, or maybe this is something your dad had. I don't know what it is, but share a story about what you would consider a special vehicle. Sure. So this car, it's a car that my dad and I kind of share. I have a couple cars myself, but I'll pick this car because I think for me, what matters in cars, you know, obviously the enjoyment of driving them and things like that, but the history of a car and the pursuit of a car are super interesting to me. So that can be looking at collectors, people like Bill Hara and Bunty Scott Moncrief in, in the UK, those early collectors, you know, their pursuits are as interesting to look at retrospectively as as the early histories of cars they collected. So this kind of relates to that. I was in eighth grade or something, and we got a call. I'm from Alexandria, Virginia, right on the Potomac River there near Washington, D.C. And it was an old widow across the river who had an MGTC sitting in her barn. So we thought, this is interesting, but her estate manager was describing the car to us. And he said, yeah, it has side exhaust. And he described a few other things. And we're like, side exhaust and a, and a white steering wheel. Yeah. yeah. And we're like, this is odd. So like, huh, interesting. So we drove over to Maryland and about a mile from her house, we met up with the estate manager and he pulls out this photo of her um, since deceased husband and says, yeah, here he is with the car when he bought it new, brought it to America. He'd fought in World War II. And it's a picture of this you know, very 50s looking proper guy sitting in a brand new MGTC as the car was stock. We thought, oh my God. Well, even if this car is just a regular MGTC sitting in a barn, for this story alone of single ownership and uh, documentation, that, this is interesting already. So we follow him and he said that she lived on an estate and it was weird because we pulled into like a Maryland neighborhood with a bunch of kind of cookie cutter copy mansions and uh, interesting. And then right at the edge of the neighborhood, we come up to these really tall, you know, 20, 30 foot tall wrought iron gates that were painted and it looked like big people. That'll come into play later, but we're like, this is odd. So we pull into the gates and we drive through the woods and then it opens up to a huge meadow and there are uh, deer eating out of deer feeders and we go up to the house and we thought it was going to be you know this crotchety old lady and it was like the spitting image of Cher comes out and 
you know, she was a model in the 50s and he was a kind of a quirky inventor of sea monkeys and x-ray specs, things that we sold out of the back of a comic book at that sea time. Sea monkeys and x-ray specs. I used to buy those at a comic strips. They didn't work, by the way, and those weren't really sea monkeys. <laughs> No, they did not. They were brine shrimp. But, yes. you know, for a dollar, you weren't going to go complain to the right. guy. So this was the guy behind it. So the original owner, having had some success with the sea monkeys and other creations, bought this MGTC. And he took it to a fellow named Joe Gertler. Now, Joe Gertler had a shop called Raceway Garage in the Bronx. And another guy, Bill Frick. They were two New York City shop owners that consequently also were involved with Allard in America. Um, so Allard chassis would come in from Sydney Allard and be mechanically assembled in America. Anyways, besides the point, he modified this MG as what was called a twin fuel special. So it received a one-piece, two-headset aluminum racing nacelle behind the driver where the top folds down. Wow. It also received a side exhaust. In putting in the side exhaust, they welded the driver's door shut on the right side. In doing that, you couldn't get in the car. So they put in a 300 SL folding steering wheel. Wow. It had 100 hand-cut louvers on the hood, a custom dash with U.S. Navy-supplied manifold pressure and other crazy gauges, wow. a hand pump on the outside of the body, and, and a custom uh, intake with uh, glass football hollies like a hot rod and, oh and a magneto gosh. and all kinds of incredible um, modifications. And I still haven't uncovered any race history for this car, though I imagine it has to exist. But what I have uncovered, which led me to Joe Gertler, was a couple of photos of the car at Rockefeller Center in 1953, shown by the original owner next to the Rockefeller car. The mm -hmm. Rockefeller car came out and was shown at this one show and was bought immediately and they never built any others, but it still exists today and is restored. And this car that was next to it uh, exists as well. So um, it's got a 1953 New York City street parking pass and um, incredible car and single ownership. And eventually when the owner kind of retires, Harold von Braunhut was his name. He moves to Maryland and the car resides there in his barn and is painted a different color in the 50s. And that's the rest of that. Well, <laughs> so we meet his widow. She takes us out to the barn and she's living right on the water there. And there the car is sitting amongst some old Corvettes and other random things. And oh my God, there it is. We didn't know what to expect. What was this car even going to be? And it's sitting there on flat tires and then talking to her. And you know, my dad looks over to me and says, first thing he said was, this is one of the best days of our lives, <laughs> <laughs> discovering something like this. And then he says, you know, we're not leaving here without making a deal on this car. You just can't. You can't let something like yeah. that slip through the cracks. So we made a deal. And a couple of weeks later, we are rolling it out of the barn and it sees the light of day for the first time. And it's an incredible unrestored condition. Now, to be clear, you know, period modified, of course, but not altered at all since the 50s. And to be completely honest, we haven't gotten the car running yet. There's just other projects, but that's one that'll be neat to bring back. And anyway, so that's a wow. car memory and car that I associate with an incredible memory. Well, these are the great things about cars is they all have histories and lives and stories. And uh, MGTCs are special to me. That was my dad's first sports car when I was five. So I remember riding around in his. Uh, his was not like that. It was it was all pretty much uh, stock, but uh, great fun for sure. So I'm going to be your car psychologist. If you've listened to Cars Yeah before, you know what this question's about getting into your head a little bit if you were a vehicle reincarnated as a vehicle what would you be and why okay so this also happens to be my favorite car but unrelated i assure you um, okay so one of my favorite cars 
in general as a model, not as a specific chassis, but as a model would be the Porsche 356. And I kind of relate to it in that I have vintage uh, tastes as a 356 has vintage styling, but I'm a young person. And, you know, a 356 and driving characteristics can keep up with modern traffic. So I relate to the car in that way. Yeah, that's that's my theory that would be who you, Well, I like that. You know, I've always wanted one. They become completely unobtainium price rise. I mean, just ridiculous prices. I, I just can't spend that much money for one of those. Having driven them, they're wonderful. But having driven 911s my whole life, they're just so slow. I can't do it. However, if I really wanted to go out and blow a bunch of money, I think I would have Rod Emery or John Wilhoy build me a Outlaw 356. And uh, something with a 2.2 uh, Wilhoit motor or something Emery does, I could do that because <laughs> I've driven their cars and they are quite spectacular. I like that answer. Uh, 356. How about a great book that you might share with us? Sure thing. I've got two. One that is an absolute must read for fans of history and motorsport. And it's called Faster by Neil Bascom. I'm sure you've heard of it. He's been a guest on the show. Oh, fantastic. That, that, that book really sparked my interest in pre-war racing and French cars and René Dreyfus and, you know, his tie to having an NYC restaurant after the war or sort of during the war. That book I really loved. And then a book that's almost related in that way is talking about that era, which I just recently finished, Kings of the Road by Ken Purdy, talks about all the great marks. And of course, the book was written in 1952. So it's a look in 1952 at the state of cars, which was a bit bleak, um, but gives great insights, uh, not only into figures like a Torre Bugatti, but then also, you know, talks about, oh, well, you know, here's an SSK to use as a reference for what I'm talking about. And oh, by the way, this is Cameron Peck's car, or this is um, Briggs Cunningham's car, uh, now the S Barker bodied SSK, which sits in the Revs Institute. Right. And then I'm reading the last chapter of the book, and I've been doing some research on a uh, I mentioned before, David Scott Moncrief, and he is quoted in the book in 1952. And as I've been looking at you know, early collectors and you know how they treated cars, it was interesting to see him quoted and the whole um, perspective of that book, I thought was very insightful. Great books to recommend. So I'm going to enable you to go on the ultimate drive. I'll have a little fun here today. I'm going to buy any car in the world for you. Park it in your garage. You can take it on your drive anywhere in the world. And you can go with anybody, even somebody who's from the past that's deceased, which opens the world to a lot of interesting characters. What does that ultimate drive look like for you, Cameron? I would probably take, this is very specific, uh, Bugatti Type 59. And of the Type 59s, uh, there's one which has the chassis number 57248. Okay. Um, it's a black sports-bodied Bugatti, which was given to King Leopold and really had just a few owners over the years and still wears its second coat of paint in, from 1937, which is black with the yellow stripe for the king. And under that has its original um, GP blue paint from 1934. It's just an incredibly preserved car. That car, I think, is really unique, and I'd love to drive it one day. And I would probably go on a drive with, I'd have to say, Bill Hera. As an early collector and restorer and you know the way he pursued cars of getting scouts to go out and look for cars that weren't advertised or anything of that accord, I really admire acquiring cars privately. Um, and he did that for many years. And then he looked at restoration in a serious light. And he was kind of the first one to say, if we're going to restore these cars, we need to do it in a proper way. And some of his cars stayed unrestored. And so it would be interesting to 
swap old car stories and hear his insights into the car world and the time that he had involvement. Very cool choices, for sure. You've taken us on a wonderful ride today, and I'm really glad that we crossed paths uh, there at the Gooding Auction during uh, Pebble Beach Concord Car Week. Uh, that's what cars are all about. I keep saying it's about meeting people and expanding your worlds. Uh, no doubt you've got a great future ahead of you, Cameron. Before I let you go, could you share maybe a success quote, a mantra, or some kind of words of inspiration for our listeners? Well, it's kind of a s- stolen <laughs> quote from Steve Jobs, okay. but um, it's it's a simple one, and it's stay hungry. That will carry you to crazy places. Well, absolutely, and he's a guy that was always hungry, that's for sure. Great book about him, that huge book. <laughs> it's like a dictionary reading about his history, but Steve Jobs is one of those guys. I equate him to many great people that have changed the world. Elon Musk is another one that's doing it right now uh, as we speak. And uh, even Bill Hara, you think about the past, what he did in a time that not a lot of people did that and how he approached the cars and looked at the cars. So uh, stay hungry. Uh, indeed. How can people keep up with you? Is you, the blog you're doing, the website? Absolutely. So my blog is 356sc.com. You can email me anytime at CameronSLuther at gmail.com. Of course, because I'm 21 years old, follow me on Instagram at Cam underscore Luther. And through any of those outlets, there are other ways to reach me and uh, shoot me an email or a call anytime. Absolutely. I'll put all those links on Cameron's show notes page here on the Car Show website so you can follow him, check him out. Uh, no doubt the car care collector car industry is in good hands with people like you, Cameron. It makes me feel really good. I can sleep a better, <laughs> better at night now knowing there's going to be caretakers for all these wonderful cars. Hey, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and your experience and for sharing your perspective, which is really refreshing on the collector car market. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks so much, Mark. You're welcome. This was fun. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.